Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. My name is Allison Encero, Managing Editor of the American Journal of Managed Care. Are millennial patients with multiple sclerosis different from older patients? And if they are different, is it partly because the MS field has benefited from new therapeutic options and increased knowledge about the role of diet and exercise, as well as modifiable behaviors such as smoking? On a recent episode of MJH Life Sciences Medical World News, Matt Hoffman, Managing Editor of Neurology Live, sat down for a conversation with Dr. Mitzi Joy Williams, a board-certified neurologist and multiple sclerosis specialist in Georgia. They talked about the trends she sees in younger patients with MS and how they approach treatment decisions and other disease considerations. We invite you to listen to an excerpt of the broadcast here on Managed Carecast, and you can find a link to the full episode in the show notes. To start, when it comes to the goals of these patients, and we can get into shared decision making and, and the you know the processes that have sort of changed in the last you know decade or so in the management of patients with MS, how do millennial patients specifically and they sort of up and you know now getting into their 30s group, how do they differ from the prior generations of patients who we've been seeing for you know the last 20, 25 years with MS? So I think that the millennial patients have changed um, really because we in the MS field have changed in terms of the options that we have for treatment and our goals for treatment have changed as well. So when I first started practicing, you know, we had very limited options. Um, We didn't have a lot of infusion medications. And so our goals were really to try to keep people from getting worse, although they continue to slowly get worse over time. Now that we have more effective treatment options, our goals have really shifted to seeing, can we really stop MS in its tracks, right? Can we get to that goal? in our studies of no evidence of disease activity, meaning no changes on MRI, no changes in the patient physically, no disability progression. So how can we stop it? And I think that that's a good thing that shifted. And I think the other thing that shifted um, in the way that we look at MS is now looking to see if there are ways that we can see improvement, which is also something that we traditionally didn't look at 10 or 20 years ago as closely as we look at it now. Yeah, of course. I mean, the number of therapies over the last, you know, 15 years has gone from, you know, six, maybe a handful to now we're, you know, we're in the twenties at this point. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. It's a game changer. It's, it's been a revolution. And how, you know, obviously there's a lot of conversations about, uh, you know, the, and although it does seem like the jury is somewhat out on induction versus uh, escalation treatment for, for patients with MS. And, and obviously a lot of conversations have been going on about the importance of, you know, patient reported outcomes and making decisions in that sort of shared decision-making care model. Uh, for millennial patients, do you find that you know, I, I obviously the, this group is now, you know, again, sort of getting into their like 30s age wise. Um, so I'd imagine, though, most of these patients are still early in the disease course. Do you find that induction is kind of the, you know, get them on high efficacy as fast as possible? Let's let's, as you were saying, you know, sort of halt the disease in its tracks. Is that sort of where this group is kind of focused with treatment? Or do you find that the, you know, their opinions and their they're, the things they hold important are different in terms of what they would like to be able to do and what types of treatments they want to be on. 
Yeah, so that's a great question. I think that in some cases, the younger patients maybe are a little bit more willing to take risks than some of my older patients um, in terms of potential side effects for some of the treatments. And so when we think about our higher efficacy treatments, we think about more potentially serious side effects, right? Um, so there are many who are willing um, you know, because they're at the height of their careers or wanting to, um, you know, have a family in the future that may be a little bit more willing to go with some of those treatments that are higher efficacy that may have more potential side effects because they do want to be um, aggressive with disease. But again, every person is different. And so it's not quite a monolith. And depending on their previous experiences, depending on if they have experience with family members or friends who have MS and different treatments they may have tried, they may already come in with a knowledge base and maybe want to shy away from certain treatments because others they know may have had difficulty with them or lean toward other treatments because the other people they know may have done well. I think the main thing is that patients are very educated and they are very involved in the decision-making, um, especially for the millennial group. So they are not the ones that are saying, do whatever you want, doctor, just tell me what to do. They're definitely kind of hands-on. Let me think about it. Let me talk to my family about it. And then let's circle back and make a decision together. So that that's, that's a good, that's a good thing as well. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like they're, you know, cause again, obviously the, the sort of shared de decision-making process I would imagine is, is happening across the board. So it, it, it's interesting that you bring up the, you know, their sort of education levels and how much, you know, now everyone's walking around with a computer in their pocket. So I'm sure the, you know, they're doing, you know, they're Googling stuff about all these treatments and trying to yes. find out what's going on. Do you find that the millennial group, it, like they tend to come to the table with more like a, a higher base level understanding of their disease or I'm sure it varies, obviously, but do you mm -hmm. find that, you know, th that process, they're a little more involved in the actual decision making? So I do feel in some cases they are a little bit more involved, and that certainly can be a plus in some instances, but in others, it can be a bit of a minus. I always tell my patients when I first see them, please don't go look, look up an exhaustive list of symptoms of MS because it will scare you to death, right? So I have people coming in with this mindset that, oh my gosh, am I going to have every one of these symptoms that I saw on this list? Or I was in this Facebook group and you know everyone's stories seem very scary, you know? Um, and so sometimes, too much information in the beginning can be a bit overwhelming um, and kind of bias us in a negative way. Um, but again, I do find that my younger patients are much more active about seeking information. Many of them have looked up different websites, found out about the different societies, even looked into different support groups and things on Facebook before they come for that treatment visit where we talk about treatment options. So they do come in with a very good knowledge base at baseline. So for you, what are sort of some of the best, you know, practices? Again, I know you said it's hard to particularly with this group to, you know, here's the algorithm you can follow, so to say, or here's the, you know, step one through step five. But what are some of the sort of tips of the trade that you can share with your peers about how to approach these young, this younger generation who may be, you know, a little more, a bit more knowledgeable or willing to seek out, you know, and do their own sort of research and want to be more involved and willing to take more risks? 
Yeah. And so I think the best advice that I have um, would be certainly to recognize that if you've seen one MS patient, you've seen one MS patient, right? Um, everybody is different. And we're really moving towards trying to create uh, individualized treatment plans. So the most important thing is to look at the person that's sitting there in front of you and work with them to make the best treatment decision. The other thing that I found very helpful is kind of breaking up those visits into bite-sized pieces. You know, a long time ago, we used to be able to talk about the treatments and choose a treatment all in one visit and diagnose you with MS. But now that we have more and more options, um, I usually break up those visits. So we have several small visits so people can digest the information and then come back and ask questions. So we may have a visit where we just talk about diagnosis. And then we have another short visit where we come back and we talk just about treatment options and we narrow it down to one or two options. And then we come back and then we pick a treatment, right? Um, and so I found that breaking these things up into these bite-sized pieces makes it more digestible for the patients and gives them some time to kind of think about what the options are and really be informed when they are a part participating in that shared decision-making process. And then the other thing that I will also emphasize is to not forget about the holistic aspect of caring for people with MS. Um, people often want to know about diet, exercise, so it's important for us as healthcare teams to make sure that we're keeping up on the latest research about diet and MS, about risk factors like smoking, um, obesity, things that are modifiable, because people often also, especially my younger patients, want to know what they can do to improve their health. So we have to combine that shared decision-making about disease-modifying therapy with a more wellness approach and helping people understand what they can do to help themselves as well. Speaking to that, you know, sort of holistic, comprehensive care, you know, that sort of seems to be the model that's kind of making its way across the board in MS. I'm curious for you, you know, we've just, you know, given you a sort of peek behind the curtain of what Neurology Live is doing. We, we've recently really taken a step in trying to expand our, our coverage to include more of what's going on in the, you know, the APP and rehabilitative medicine space. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the, you know, PTs and OTs we're talking to, are emphasizing that, especially for patients, you know, who suffer from things like spasticity and so on and so forth. How important for you is that, you know, making sure that your patients are able to get, you know, referred to, or at least speak with these types of additional, you know, sort of advanced care providers, the, the, you know, the nurse practitioners, the social workers, the, if they, you know, depression, uh, if, you know, if they, if they're suffering from that meeting with a psychiatrist or, um, you know, a counselor or some sort, how important is, the, is that to the care process? Absolutely essential, right? So all of those things are essential. So, you know, I always like to say that medicine plays a part and my patients play a part all right. And no medicine gets rid of the part that they play in their own health. Right. And part of the part that they play is when we refer them to physical therapists, following through with those visits, continuing those exercises and those regimens at home. You know, if we refer to dietary, making sure that they follow up with that, with their dietitians or nutritionists, eating a healthy, well-balanced diet, making sure that we are caring for mood symptoms. Often we make recommendations, but again, the patients have to follow through and see those other providers, you know, so those things are extremely, extremely important um, to having a good care plan 
for MS because mood and other issues affect the physical symptoms and then the physical symptoms can be worsened, which can affect the mood. And so all of those things become a circle. So we can't take care of one without taking care of the other. So um, it is absolutely integral to my practice to make sure that people have access to physical therapy, occupational therapy if needed, um, as well as psychologists and other providers, social workers to help with disability, FMLA, et cetera. And so, you know, to be, I think that kind of obviously ties into what you mentioned before about these patients kind of getting overloaded. Uh, you know, they, they go down a Google rabbit hole of here's all the, you know, potential things that could happen to you. So I'm curious, what are the resources that you tend to guide patients toward to, you know, help them better manage that, you know, home health aspect and, and holistic aspect of, of their, their health and, and to just better understand the disease that they, you know, they're going to have to deal with. Right. So there is a lot of information out of there and some of it is extremely great. Some of it is not so great and, and everywhere in between. So I usually start with directing people to, you know, very well-known organizations, advocacy organizations. So I have them start with something broad like the National MS Society, right, where they can get information about therapies, about diet, exercise. You can get a variety of things all in one space. It's all vetted by physicians and trusted partners in the MS community. So it's, it's pretty good information. You know, I also direct them to our other advocacy organizations, the MS Foundation, right? The MS Association of America. They're often doing educational programs and webinars about different topics related to MS. And then I also um, sprinkle in some recommendations about patient advocacy groups, right? So that are led by patients. For instance, MS Views and News is a patient-led organization um, that offers a lot of information in different seminars. Um, and so we kind of start there. And then, you know, I also direct people, you know, to different, um, let's say, Facebook groups or other websites that may be, um, you know, appropriate for them. You know, I do a lot of work, for instance, with ethnic minority groups. So there are some groups that are focused on those groups, you know, that patients may want to engage with. So I think the most important thing is that people engage in the MS community once they're diagnosed, because certainly um, having a good support team, a good medical team is extremely important. But having that group of people who really understand practically what the disease is like is essential to someone, you know, being able to successfully walk through their journey with MS as well. For all of us at AGMC, thanks for listening. For more about this issue, visit AGMC.com or see the show notes. To get in touch with us, email info at agmc.com or follow us on Twitter at agmc underscore journal. And if you like Managed Carecast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.